What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Empower Podcast. I believe this is episode 11. Um, so this episode is just uh, Steve and I. So we're going to be talking about um, basically just kind of bouncing around different ideas. Um, I talked about portfolio stuff. Um, and seeing as Steve is a recruiter for the gaming industry, he works at, uh, I want to say it's called Onward Play. Um, so it's kind of like a staffing agency for um, connecting people to different areas of the industry. I'd love to pick his brain on what he feels uh, are the most useful things to include on a portfolio and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, bring it on. What you got? Yeah, yeah. So I had a talk with one of my friends a couple of days ago, and um, he uh, graduated from NYU's game design program, and, uh, and um, he's been struggling to get a job. And he was sharing some regrets, mm -hmm. some regrets with me. He he said that uh, he he wishes that he spent more time on his portfolio uh, before mm -hmm. coming out of college. Um, mm -hmm. And to an extent, I agree with him, right? But I always I've also wondered because I've heard the advice that let's say you want to work for like an indie versus a AAA, the style of games that they work on might be different. You want your portfolio to be targeted towards them. So how do you mm -hmm. how, how do you suggest people approach creating a portfolio, and um, is it does it suffice to just like have work or should it be more focused um, or or like does that make sense like what do you look for when yeah 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 absolutely and really it depends on who what who's your target audience right because like artwork in particular can be. It's it's crazy because there's there's an infinite amount of different like combinations of of skills of styles of of different types of of art styles like two D three D you know stylized versus realistic and the better your artwork applies to the target the company that you're targeting the more likely you're able to get a job so let's let's reverse engineer this whole thing about getting a job right. Um, when when companies are looking to hire somebody, uh, there's an acronym that I like to to teach uh, on how to make yourself most, uh, I guess, uh, uh, the best candidate, right? And the the acronym is T A L K. And I'm gonna go through all. I'm gonna go through each of the the letters in a different order. So T A L K. Um, K stands for no, right? Does the company know who you are? They can't hire you. They can't bring you in for an interview if they don't know who you are. So first part is you have to get yourself out there some way, somehow to, to get the people of these companies to know that you actually exist, right? So that's one part of it. That's where networking really comes into play. Um, and how are you putting yourself out there, whether it's on social media or meeting people face-to-face -face or whatever, okay? That's the K. And then L is do they like you? Like, do the people at this company like you enough to bring you on? And, you know, what does likability have to do? It's like, do you get along well with people? Do you communicate effectively? Do you work well in a team setting, right? Can you take, take orders or can you be a leader? Whatever the case may be, like, do they like you enough? Because, like, these companies, they're, they're going to bring somebody in to spend at least 40 hours a week to work with, right? That's why they yeah. wanna bring somebody in that they can get along with, right? The T stands for trust. Trust is like, can they trust you to get the job done, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in, in my experience, good companies, the way that they, they hire is 
through a like a a prediction with the mindset of the best way to know if a person can do something is to see if they've done it in the past, right? So if a person can create a, a, a piece of artwork with a certain level of quality, the best way to know if they can do that is if they've actually done that type of work in the past, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, if I'm, if I'm looking for, let's just say a cook, right? If I'm looking for somebody that can make amazing hamburgers, more likely than not, they've made amazing hamburgers in the past. And the best way to decide if they've made, you know, if they can make it moving forward is if they've, you know, got something that they've consistently shown in the past that they've done. Does that make sense? Same thing with artwork. Like if your portfolio shows garbage, that's what you're programming somebody to see your portfolio to think. Is that okay? This person's going to create garbage artwork. As opposed to if you want to work for, um, let's just say, blizzard right and if you want to work on the game world of warcraft if they're looking for an artist that can create art in that style mm -hmm. if you have an entire portfolio of artwork that shows that style of, of work that at least is telling them that okay he can do it right right um or he or she can do it and, and that's one of those things where if you just have a portfolio that's all over the place i mean it's hard to it's hard for somebody to predict that oh yeah you know what maybe he can but see that's another one of those things where if a company know if the people at the company know you enough and trust that you have the work ethic to pick up a new skill then that's where they'll give you a shot even if your your portfolio doesn't have the the art style that they're looking for does that make sense right. so the that's part of the t the trust is like can they trust that you're actually going to be able to perform the work? And then the A in the talk acronym is available. Like, are you available and affordable? Because they can know you, like you, and trust you. But if you're not available, then you know that's then that's a that's a no go for the job. So mm -hmm. T is trust. A is available. L is are you likable? And K is do they even know you exist? Right. So you have to if you're looking for a job and you're not getting a job go through that acronym. Do they know you, like you, trust you, and are you available, right? And more likely than not, if you're not getting the job, it's something in there that's missing. So for, in your friend's case, you know, the portfolio is like, I would ask, where do they sit on that, uh, you know, with regards to all of those criteria with the places that they're applying to? And if they're just applying online, like he may be brilliantly talented, but if his portfolio doesn't come across that, like you have to think from a recruiter or a hiring manager's perspective is that sometimes, especially at like big companies, they can be going through hundreds, maybe even thousands of resumes. Right. And how are they, how are they looking at his portfolio? If it even gets across their desk, mm -hmm. that's one of those things is how is your friend applying? Is he just blind applying online and just waiting for a job position to pop up online and then that's when he applies because if that's the case his portfolio may not even matter because it's not even getting looked at right because if he's applying to jobs like AAA companies and he has zero AAA experience it's not very likely that they're even going to get to a resume level mm -hmm. right because a lot of these AAA companies they're looking for people with AAA experience and that's one of those things is like okay um they're filtering through thousands of resumes. How are they going to narrow down who are the ones that are qualified enough? 
And typically they're going to take a look at a resume, see where has this person worked before. And if they've worked at AAA companies or if they've worked at big indie companies before, that's where they're most likely to get at least to the next step so that somebody will look at their resume and their portfolio. Does that make sense? Right. So in order for me to understand your friend's um, position in particular, I would have to see, right? What What's his portfolio look like? Where are the places he's applying to? And like, what is his um, experience with regards to T-A-L-K? Um, because if he's just blind applying online, that's that's kind of a... I mean, it, it works sometimes, but there are definitely some limitations to it. So I don't know, maybe we'll bring in your friend sometime for, for the next podcast and we can go over it as an example, you know, what places is he applying to? Um, and we can go from there. So I don't know, it's, that's part of it is like, how are you setting yourself up for success? And that's one of the things that I love to do is teach these different aspects because this isn't necessarily something that, uh, that you're formally trained on in school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, that's, that's something I'd love to do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that makes total sense. And I know, uh, I can't really speak to how in depth this portfolio is because I, we haven't talked, discussed that too much. Um, <laughs> but it sound but but it sounds like an approach that maybe you kind of imply but it didn't really talk about was like if they don't have AAA experience they're not getting in, um, for sure networking mm -hmm. and starting out at a smaller company might also be the way to go and mm -hmm. make your way up from there right, um, because I know mm -hmm. that with myself when I applied for jobs I felt like I objectively got to a certain level of competence but I just didn't have that last mm -hmm. like five or ten percent to get to the AAA level, um, so I pivoted. I mm -hmm. found a startup that I've been working mm -hmm. at, um, and I think that's a great start for me. And I, I think that's a perfect example of uh, what I what I just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of those things is like some people don't understand that in order to get to like your dream job, that sometimes it's a two or three step process from where you are. So, for example, if you want to get to a AAA company as an artist. One is you have to make your way into the company and two, you have to have the skill set to actually do the job. So one part of it is is building up the skill set, whether that's through school or self-training or whatever it is, or maybe even company where you're able to to really work on your craft and then make the, the transition from, you know, one company to your dream company. Or maybe it's to get an entry level position at your dream company. And then while you're there, start building up the skills so that if an opportunity comes up in the field that you're looking for, you might be able to make a lateral change right there. So mm -hmm. I've seen this happen many times. It's like, okay, so let's say, for example, if you want a design position on the baseball team, you know, they, they make MLB the show, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want a design position, a couple things you can do. One is really increase your, your ability to design like video games and like show your competency in that. So if you are able to go to school and then get a job at, uh, at any company and really improve your, your design skills in that, in a game that's very similar to MLB the show, then that's where it's more likely that you'll get, you know, if a design position comes up and then you apply for it, they'll see, okay, this person has AAA experience or has a high level of design experience and has a portfolio that shows that, maybe we'll give them a shot. Or maybe start off, if you don't have the skills yet, work at 
at PlayStation as like a tester to begin with, like an entry level position. And then while you're there, build relationships with the people on the on the, the baseball team and then gradually keep building your, your design skills up and take over any potential design um, you know, opportunities that come in your direction. Right. So let me give an example, a real life example of somebody who transitioned uh, as a designer. So he was a tester at PlayStation and uh, he was testing a game called Mod Nation Racers. Oh, and I know that game. Yeah, it, it's awesome game. And uh, there was a, a position that uh, that opened up where they were looking for an in-house tester. So he transitioned from the from the publishing side to the de- development side, so that they would have a tester in house that was cap- that um, that knew the game very well, right? So as a tester, he was side by side with all of the developers, and then opportunities came up. Said, "Hey, we're creating a new stage. Who can who can design something?" And then. He had a little bit of design experience and he was able to show some of his skills regarding design. So they gave him like a small task. Hey, design this little part of the stage. And he he took that little design opportunity. And and because he did that, then he started gradually getting more and more design opportunities to the point where he kept knocking those out of the park. And then they hired him on as a full time designer. So that's how he made a transition from being a tester to a designer. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things. That's why the networking can be so important and getting your foot in the door at a big company can be so important because that's where you'll get little opportunities to just show off your skill set and show what you can do. And and a, a more personal experience for me is like, I'm not a, I'm not a photographer, but how was I brought on to do photography stuff for the game MLB, the show? And the way that it happened was I was, uh, I was working in production and I was working with one of the artists and he had to take a trip to, um, my role was to organize this artist's trip to a baseball stadium so that he could take pictures of, uh, you know, for research to make sure that it's built accordingly in the game. So I was just casual conversation. I mentioned that, Hey, you know, I used to help my then wife with, uh, with photography, um, because she used to do wedding photography and, you know, all of the, we, we talked back and forth. And then he mentioned that, Oh, he's kind of afraid of heights and he doesn't like taking pictures from, you know, the high levels at the stadium. So I was like, you know what? I'll help you out. I'm (laughs) setting up your itinerary already. So maybe I can join you. I'll drive you to the stadium. And I'll uh, I'll be your photographer. I'll do whatever you need. If you want me to go up to high levels and take pictures from there, you know, just set the the camera to um, to auto, and I'll take pictures for you. So that was one of the things where I got the opportunity to take pictures as a professional photographer um, because I was just in the right place at the right time. So I had like at least the basic skill set. I wasn't a professional photographer by any stretch, but I was in the right place at the right time. And the photographer knew me, he liked me, he trusted me, and I was available, right? That's how I got it. And that's just one of those things I have that in mind. And that's what I teach to all of my mentees. Like, how are you putting yourself in this position if that's, you know, to, to get the job that you want? So 
I mean, this is part of the, the training that goes on that they don't necessarily do school, but I'm more than happy to coach people on. Yeah, cool. And uh, to follow up on that, uh, so my friend specifically went to school for game design at NYU. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I suspect that part of the struggle that he experiences is that, um, I, I mean, you can speak more to this, right? But game design, to me, at the AAA level doesn't seem like an entry-level job. And he wants to just do design. He doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. want to use other skills like art or music or programming to, mm-hmm. to, to move laterally into that position. He wants to go straight into mm-hmm. game design. Um, mm-hmm. is it, what's the common path for designers to get in? Because it seems like that there are probably a lot of them are artists or programmers. Like, like Jacob Freeland, we brought on a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. who was a programmer at Creativo, and then got this mm-hmm. design position, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to say because like he can say that he wants to just jump right into being a triple A designer, but why would anybody does anybody know him, like him, trust him enough to get the job done? Because designing at a triple A level, like that requires a lot of skill, right? You don't just plug somebody in. And even though he has this degree at NYU, like I can't speak for how good that design program is. And like when he's competing against hundreds, maybe even thousands of other designers out there that have AAA experience, would they choose him over anybody else? Like what, I don't know if he understands how competitive this work environment is, but like if a company is going to hire somebody and pay them thousands of dollars, you know, a year, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of a career, right? They have to do their best to pick it's not just does somebody qualify, but who's the best person available, right? And what are they looking for? They're people, like, does he at least have the minimum skill set? Let's just say he does, right? But does, does the hiring manager and does the team know him and like him enough to bring him on to give him a chance, right? Mm-hmm. And if all he's doing is just applying online then he's forcing other people to make a judgment on him based on a resume, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's what people look at. Do, does he have the, the experience to actually do it? Because anybody can write on a resume, designer, but what's the proof that you have that you're a good designer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's one of those things he might have, he might have the skill. I don't know, yeah. but like, how is he communicating to the world that he actually has it? Right. Is it in a portfolio that's hidden somewhere on a, on a server somewhere and he and he's forcing other people to 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 really have to dig to find him? Or is he being active on social media and actually showing his competence? Mm-hmm. Right. That's like one of those LinkedIn. things that he can do on a place. Yeah. On LinkedIn. Like if he is posting the, the projects that he's working on, then he's showing without a doubt that he's the, the, he has a competence you know, to design the stage. So if he says, uh, you know, at September 1st, you know, the entire month of September, I'm going to design a level um, for a game like Uncharted, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes through and designs and talks about step-by-step step how he's going to create a level and he builds it and shows like every other day, puts a post on how he's building the stage right? That's showing people that he has the competency to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But if all he has is a portfolio and he's just waiting for somebody, hopefully they'll come and and 
you know, check out his portfolio, then that's like, he, he, I, I would say that he doesn't understand the business side of, of getting a job. And right. yes, he might have the skills, but he's got to let people know that he's available. Right. And, and the only way to do that, in my opinion, or the best way to do that is to build genuine relationships with people that can help you get the, that can get those roles. So mm-hmm. I don't know. And that's one of those things that I would love to is have a conversation with him and and find out what exactly is the struggle because the cool thing is because i have um you know 15 plus years of connections in the industry if he posts something online right mm-hmm. on on linkedin i can like and comment on his post right and then from there people from my network will see his work right so that's one of the best that's one of the beautiful things about leveraging your network is seeing the value in it, one. Um, and two, understanding that it's kind of like marketing yourself. So understanding that now he's in the business world, he's no longer a student, that he's got to treat himself like a business, right? This is, this is exactly why companies spend ridiculous amounts of money on things like advertising and marketing is to let people know that they exist, right? Mm-hmm. So... It, that that's part of it. Is like how is he how is he networking and putting himself in a position to be found? And the cool thing is, if he, he works with recruiters, like it's a recruiter's job to find qualified candidates and fit them into roles where they're a good fit. So if he talks to a lot of uh, of recruiters, then that's a, a great way to have other people at least keeping him in mind for when the right position opens up. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I would recommend that he starts networking a lot and networking with people who are looking for, you know, the who are looking for people with his skill set, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's one of the things about LinkedIn also is that it is a great tool for people that are searching for qualified candidates because it it's like a a Google search for us. So as a recruiter, if I'm looking for a game designer that specializes in combat design that's worked in AAA for three years and lives in the LA in the LA metropolitan area. You know, if I have a company that's looking for that, I can type all of that stuff in and find the right candidate. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of LinkedIn is all of the like recruiters use that as a tool to find the right people. And if he's not on LinkedIn, if his profile is not up to date, that's thousands of missed opportunities to get brought up in somebody's search because he's not on there. You know what I mean? So, right, right. Um, yeah, that's that, that's part of it. So, can you take us through at like a, like a high level um, what your process is? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't understand. Like, let me, let's say you get a spec or something for a specific job mm-hmm. requirement. Um, do you type in the industry like uh, like I've done some mobile development and I try to tag it? Would you type in like Android development? Like let's say Byron pops up, would you Google search my name and see the company information or or what's kind of your process? What, what stands out to you? So so the part of it is finding out what the what the employer wants, right? Right. Like what are they what are they looking for in a candidate? Right. What's the skill set? What are the tool expertises that they need? Um, and you reverse engineer it from there. So, right. Part of it is finding out what are the logistics of 
for the person? Like, is it remote only or do they have to be located in a certain place? Because that might narrow down the search. Um, and then like, what skill sets do they have? Right. So if I'm looking for a, um, you know, a video game developer, do they need to be specialized in unity or unreal? Right. Cause those go into the searches as well. Um, and that those are things that we can type into uh, like LinkedIn as a search is like, okay, what are the, what are the skill sets that we're looking for? Um, you know, where do they need to be located? What tools do they need to know? Uh, and then we put that into the search. And from there, it brings up, you know, a list of people. And then we reach out to all of those people because, you know, not only do we have to find people with a certain skill set, but we have to find who are the people that are available to get hired on, right? Yeah. Because we might, it'll bring up people that may be working somewhere already, right? And they're, they might be happy with their job or they might not be happy. We don't know until we reach out and have a um, yeah. And that's one of those things where we have to make educated guesses on online. Like one way to hopefully find people is there's a little uh, a banner that you can put on your LinkedIn profile that says open to work. Oh, yeah. Which shows that, hey, you're at least you're considering other opportunities. Right. Um, so maybe that's a filter that we'll use. Or if, you know, sometimes we'll find people that work at companies um, where we don't know if they're happy or not. We don't know. Like the thing thing is with, for example, COVID happening, a lot of people are looking for more remote opportunities. So that might be one of the things that we reach out about. Hey, you know, hey, so-and-so, we've got this great opportunity. Uh, they're, they're looking for someone that uh, that's open to 100% remote work. Uh, are you interested? Right. And then we just send out those messages to everybody and hopefully people will get back to us. And then that's where we start the conversation. It's like, okay, well, you reached out to me. You're obviously did, but what are the things that you as a candidate want? Right. <laughs> What's important to you in a company? Do you want to work in video games only? Do you want to work on only mobile or PC or console? Um, are you open to things like working in gambling? Right. So oh, that's these true. are things, this is, these are things where it's a back and forth conversation, not just with a company, but it's also what does the employee want, right? And that's why you have to find what are the, the win-win scenarios for everybody that's involved. So this is, yeah, a little insight into finding the job. And, and the thing is, like, when students are just making their way into the professional world in particular, all... Most of the time, all they're aware of is what they want to. I want to work in AAA. I want to get paid to be a designer. I want to work. This is what I want. And the mistake that they make is not thinking about what does the company want and how are they putting themselves in the best position to get hired on by a company, right? And <laughs> yeah, going back to talk. Your, yeah, I remember your, uh, your, your acronym, W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> And, and that's the thing is like, it's natural when you're thinking about what you want yourself, right? So, I mean, we can use food as an example. If you're hungry, if you're craving a hamburger, you're looking for a hamburger, right? What are the companies that you know, like, trust, and which ones are available, right? Because you may love McDonald's, but if you're, you know, on an island where they don't have McDonald's and you're like, okay, well, 
you're not going to get you're not going to get that unless you actually go out to get it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's and, and yeah, again, this is one of those things like just business concepts and business principles that a lot of people just don't know about because of the you know business skills aren't necessarily what people are taught when they're going through, especially like a specialized program at school. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I'm here for because that's what I studied. That's what I love. And I, that's, I love teaching these things because that's, you know, that's just me. That's awesome. And I, I laughed a couple of times during that because it's, it's like, this is all stuff that we can kind of search ourselves too. Um, in terms of like those specific keywords, that's, that's something I did, you know, I, I kind of, got like uh, a short list. I think that's the term, a short list of mm-hmm. people that I want to emulate. Okay. I see that they're successful in this industry. How can I replicate that? Um, and so I've kind of done some similar things. So it's, it's nice to hear that that's kind of the, the, the methods that like recruiters like yourself are doing as well. And then mm-hmm. uh, something else that came to mind uh, as you were, as you were, as you were talking, um, I remember taking a business, uh, business tech class back in high school, like junior year, senior year, whatever it was. Looking at my resume back then, because I, I was recently going through um, uh, some old files on my computer, looking at my resume back then to what it is now and just like the the progression, because I know a few years ago, you really helped me like update my resume and um, mm-hmm. also looking at like my cover letters. And I used to write, oh, I'd love to work here because uh, this, this and this. And it's just like maybe a company... I, maybe it's not right to say that a company doesn't care that you that you would love to work there, but in such a passenger mm-hmm. industry like games, it almost feels like that's assumed, right? Like beyond that, I feel like my my more current cover letters are more what can I offer, or what immediate problems have I seen that I can solve? Absolutely, and that going back to that acronym W I I F M, what's in it for me? Instead of talking about what you want to do and what you love. Talk about what's the value that you can bring to a company. And that's where you'll start sparking, um, you know, the interest, right? And this is, this is like advertising, right? When companies are advertising, the effective ones aren't talking about what they do. They're talking about the value that they can provide to the, cons- the customer, the consumer, right? And that's why... They're like companies when they're advertising their food, they'll show how delicious it is. or They'll focus on how fast they can get it to you. Right. Because that's the value to the customer. Right. If, if people want fast food or if they want delicious or authentic food, they're speaking with, they're speaking to audience. They're uh, what are their preferences? Um, and yeah, that's the, that's essentially what you're doing with your resume and your cover letter. You're advertising. You're showing this is the stuff that the values that I can offer to you. And that's why when it comes to writing bullet points in your resume, um, you're putting like, what are the accomplishments that you have provided that, um, that a company could translate into success at their own company. So for example, um, if you've designed, um, you know, 300 levels uh, on a match three game, right? That's something that you can put in your resume. Because like I said, the best way to assume that you can do something or the best way to predict if you can do something in the future is if you've done it in the past. So if you're applying to be a game designer, 
you know, for a company that makes match three puzzle games. And if you've designed 300 of those stages already, that's something that can be uh, like a way that you word it on your resume that shows your, your competency, right? You made X amount of levels for this game that generated X amount of dollars, right? Because you're showing that's like the statistic that you've done. And that's a lot more valuable to have those stats in there versus just saying, I design games or I design stages. Does that make sense? Right. And so at that point, it seems like the, the next logical step would be, um, so what you're mentioning is actually writing that on your cover letter or your resume. The next step would be having that posted on your LinkedIn page, right? So then before they, before they even like, before you can even apply there, maybe, maybe that sparks them to approach you, right? Cause they're, they're, they're doing a preliminary search and that pops up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of this is just being honest with what are the, what are the experiences that you've actually had, right? right. If those right. are things that you've done, um, and, and this is one of the, another one of the issues that young professionals come across is that they, they don't um, keep track of all of their accomplishments, right? right? And that's one of those things where sometimes you just get so busy with work, you're just going from one project to the other, to the other, to the other, and you don't have like the history of things that you've done. So when it comes time to look for another job or write up a resume that I did at work, like what's the value that I provided, um, right? And the great thing to do is be able to translate your, um, translate your accomplishments into dollars and cents. So for example, I've got one mentee who's currently working um, at, in, in the financial kind of uh, department. And one of the things that I've coached him to do is keep track of uh, a program that he's writing. So he, in Excel, he wrote a program to help streamline the process uh, at work. And he's literally saving hundreds of hours per year in work because people are using his program. So when you think how many people's hours are being saved and you multiply that throughout the year, that's like dollars and cents, yeah. how much money he can save a company. And yeah. if he has that written on his resume, it, it's like concrete example. And if they ask him about it, he's like, oh yeah, I wrote this program. It saved X amount of hours per year. And, you know, average person was paid, you know, 50K a year. How much does that translate into real dollars and cents for a company, right? Um, yeah, awesome example right there. Uh, and that's something that a lot of like people aren't necessarily trained to do that in school. So they don't know to do that. But like when it comes time for a raise or a promotion, that's, hey, company, look how much money I saved you guys $100,000. Don't you think it justifies me getting a $20,000 raise? Right? Yeah. And then if they don't want to give that, they're like, you know what, I'm going to take my services to another company where I can do the same exact thing and they will be able to pay me more. Right? Yeah. But you don't. You won't have that leverage unless you keep track of what it is and then really be able to explain it in dollars and cents. Um, so, yeah, tip out there is just keep track of the stuff and understand how, uh, how to explain it in business terms. Because as you're getting these jobs, that's exactly what you're doing. You're entering yourself into the business world and companies are out to make money. That's a really interesting perspective. I didn't really think about that too much. I know you mentioned that to me a few weeks ago. But I, I definitely know in school, um, you're not necessarily encouraged to do that. Like, I think math is a prime example, right? They love teaching you the most complicated way first, uh, and then they teach you the shortcut. 
Whereas I know as a programmer myself, I just want this done faster because a programmer's job isn't to flex on how complicated a problem I can solve is to get problems solved efficiently. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I, that's, that's one of the issues that I've had with the, the traditional like education. Um, but that's, that's like an entirely different story. And but right. part of it is like not blaming the, the education system for what it is, but like when we become adults and we realize what are the skills that we didn't learn what are the things that we're actually doing to to go out and learn them, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things where, as I got more mature in my in my professional career, I learned the value of not blaming others for things that I didn't know, right? Right. right. So, like all of these things that I'm I'm teaching now, these are things that I had to go out and search and find, um, but I had to have the I had to be proactive in order to find these things. And like, it's so easy to blame other people for, um, for, you know, things that I'm not getting that I want. And this, that was one of the biggest like aha moments that I had early in my career as a tester. Cause I, uh, I was a tester at PlayStation for five years and during, you know, years one through like four, I was so frustrated because I wasn't getting hired onto the permanent position that everybody covets. Um, and it's because I was being very selfish in my motivations. I only wanted like me, 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 me to look good. And that was, I know now a, um, an ineffective way of, of progressing in my career because good companies know that it's not just about individual effort, but it's like, how are you building team up and how are how are you getting the entire team and the company to to perform better so the problem that i had before is i was very selfish in my motivations and i was selfish in the things that i did so for example we were testers so i would i would find the you know the biggest bugs and i would keep them to myself and i'd hoard them because i'd want them to go bug, right because that's one of the metrics that's used to to evaluate testers you know how how good are the bugs that they find and how many right but the aha moment that i had is it's okay it's not just about me i've been here i'm a senior tester i know what i'm but when i started teaching others and teaching the incoming testers hey i found this bug but i want you to put it in your name this is how i found it this is how you can find other ones like it so i was teaching other people to be more productive and it wasn't just about me but overall, as a team, we were getting better because as I was teaching the incoming testers, that took more of a load off of the, the managers because they didn't have to spend their time teaching. You know what I mean? And that's the benefit for the entire company is that I was allowing the managers to focus more of their attention on bigger, more important things mm -hmm. where I could be teaching the incoming testers. And that's how we as a team were better able to um, to perform and when management saw that in me they're like oh steve gets it now and that's where i started getting more opportunities and just that's how my career really started to blossom i realized that it's not just me but it's the entire team and how i'm how am i helping others and that's that's why i'm here where i am now is because mm -hmm. help and going back to finding a job going back to the t in trust the thing about trust is 
like trust is built over an extended amount of time. You know, there's some times where you can instantly gain trust with somebody else, but more likely than not, it's going to be something where it's over prolonged and consistent interactions. Like, for example, with you, Byron, I've known you and we've had these conversations, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got to know my personality and I've gotten to know. And that's one of those things where I'm, I have this feeling that, you know, we're on the same wavelength and that we have the same goals and we're both aligned in the things that we want to do. And that's why I love working with you. Um, but that, that didn't just happen magically overnight, <laughs> right? Yeah. This is something that we've been talking about and consistency, like, and I've made mistakes. And the thing is like, overall, I I'm hoping it's like a, a net positive because right. That's, that's why you're still here chatting with me, right? You wouldn't be having this conversation on a weekly basis if you didn't like me. Um, so you have to think like, as you're networking out there, you have to understand that every time you have an interaction with somebody, that's already you kind of like in the interview process. So especially for the job hunters out there, as you're coming across people that work at your target companies, or as you're coming across recruiters, what are your interactions like? Um, because you have to, you have to understand when you, when you interact with somebody, are you adding value from them or are you trying to take value from them? The key is to find how can you get both? But most people just entering the job, uh, the job world, most people are only concerned with what are they, what do they want, but not the other way around. They're not thinking about what the other person wants. Um, and when it comes to going back to having interactions with people, something that I've, uh, that I've experienced is that there are people that will reach out to me and they're only selfish in their, in their pursuits. It's like, Hey, can you help me get a job? Hey, can you write me a recommendation? Hey, give me, give me, give me. And that's all they ask about. Like anytime they reach out to me, it's because they want something. And that's, you have to understand how that's psychologically setting them up. Because I'm sure we all have people in our lives that only come to us when they need something. And that's like, yeah. hmm, do I really want to just have a, like, that's, that's like a, an energy vampire. They're only trying to suck the energy out of you. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you have to be very mindful of how you're interacting with people. And, you know, that's one of those things that can put you in, in a bad spot if you don't do it correctly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty funny. I remember pretty early on, uh, Back when I first met you uh, four or five years ago, I, I don't know when it was, but we did that first tour. I remember speaking with you on like getting internships at the time. You're like, oh, yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty tough. Like, I'm not really sure I can help you with that. Right. Um, I don't even know if you remember that. Um, but that's an issue that a lot of people in audio, a lot of creatives have where there's just like they take they I guess it would be W.I.I.F.Y. Right. What's in it for you or referring to myself mm-hmm. what's, in it for, what's in it for me like mm-hmm. they're not actually thinking about thinking mm-hmm. about it from the other person's perspective and so then i started to view our conversations not so as like transactional in the sense that okay well one day he's going to help me get a job but i truly i just genuinely enjoyed um the insights that you provided to me the opportunities that um you were presenting to me with like going to uh Stigula, going to different sony events like we had that one with uh at the the place in, in, in San Diego for the the women who, who code and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was definitely a mindset shift um, that I learned through school because 
yeah, it's pretty much me, 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 especially as a kid first getting into college. So that's that's a pretty difficult switch to flip for sure. And the cool thing about that is knowing in general, most people have that kind of mindset. So the way that you can separate yourself from everybody else, be the one that's actively looking to give value to others, right? So that's that's why I I'm doing this is like understanding that every interaction that I have, I'm looking to add value to someone because there's a saying that goes, you will get everything you want in life if you help enough people get what they want, right? So that's why when I interact, my focus, how can I be of service? Because when I do that, I'm automatically separating myself from everybody else who's just selfish in their motivations, right? And I genuinely do want to help. And this is one of those things that it's a mind, it's a mindset that I had to cultivate and practice. And like, how can I help other people? And this is one of those things where the seven habits of highly effective people really comes into play because that's that's one of the main principles that they think or that they teach is think win win, right? And then not only that, but seek first to understand, then to be understood, right? So first is understanding that you're going into a in, in a relationship, a conversation with wanting not only you to win, but finding ways for the other person to win. Right. And then the only way you can find out how the other person, how you can help the other person win is get to know what is a win for them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's why for you, wanting to get into the video game industry, wanting career advice, I was like, okay, I know what Byron wants now. How can I help out with that? And there were periods of time where we hadn't talked in a while, but I at least knew because I listened, what is it that you're looking for? That way, when I see an opportunity comes up that you might be interested in, I can forward that information to you, right? Mm -hmm. And that shows that, I mean, that shows that I'm taking time to care about someone other than myself. And it's like, out of all of the people in the world that you could be having this conversation, why are you coming to me? And hopefully it's because I've built up that trust in our interactions that you can see I'm here to help out as much as I am to, um, to get assistance from you. Because like this whole podcast, this thing wouldn't even be possible without your technical skills. So <laughs> that's kind of the, 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 it's called synergizing, synergistic relationship mm-hmm. where two people putting their skills together and the sum of the whole is greater than the part. You know what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, um, Where two people working together can, can accomplish more than each can as an individual. So that's my mindset. And those are the things that drives me to have these interactions is I'm constant. And this is just me taking the seven habits um, mindset and the things that I learned from that book and putting it into effect. Yeah, definitely. And also, I wanted to touch on the fact that you mentioned, like, we did have those periods of like prolonged silence of not many conversations over like six months, seven months, stuff like that. Um, I'd like to point out, too, that for the most part, for a lot of that, that was me honestly putting the advice that Steve gave me into action, right? Those were all usually periods of growth, right? So it's one thing to seek out advice, but it's another thing to... um, to actually put it into 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 practice, so um, I like I'm I'm the kind of person where I like to um, like whenever you gave me advice, like oh maybe it would help to do this, like you mentioned LinkedIn. So that's something that I've started to try to become more active with, and I I like to think that it shows, right? 
So during those periods of, of silence is, is uh, just, it's basically it's important to work on your craft just as much as it is like getting a whole bunch of advice. Because I know that a lot of um, entry level like graduates or people in college, I know it can get mm-hmm. a little frustrating to just hear a bunch of advice, but um, working on your craft is definitely something you can do to, 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 to also make yourself feel productive. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons, another one of the reasons why I love working because I can see the progress that you're making, right? It's so fulfilling to give some advice or give some sort of, um, you know, some assistance some way, somehow, and then actually see it working within somebody, right? So to see your growth as a professional over these years, right, that that makes me feel good, right? And it makes me feel good to know that I may have had a bit of influence in that. Now, obviously, you're the one doing the work, but it's so refreshing as opposed to other people that I've talked to half dozen times, a dozen times, and they're still, they, they're not putting anything into into work, Right. And they're getting the same results and they're complaining about the results they're getting when they're not making changes. So, I mean, it's so refreshing to be able to see the progress that you're making as opposed to somebody who's just kind of stuck and complaining. So part of it is for me understanding where am I getting an actual return on the energy that I'm that I'm putting out. Right. So if you want to be mentored by somebody, if you're seeking somebody to um, to give you advice on your career, make sure that you're actually putting it to work because that's one of the, in my opinion, influence them to want to keep coming back and doing more. Because as somebody who's trying to teach, I don't want, I mean, it's, it's frustrating to talk to somebody and tell them times to do something and they don't do it. So part of that is me is like, okay, are they just not ready for the message yet? I that I'm, that I'm communicating with them, maybe. Um, but, you know, sometimes I just got to say, you know what, this person isn't ready yet. I'm going to take a step back, take, um, be proactive and take some steps on their own, right? Because it can't just be a one-way thing. It's just I'm providing energy and then it gets frustrating. What can I say? Yeah, for sure. And I love how you still took a positive spin. Like you're saying right now, maybe they're not ready, but maybe maybe later, maybe a year or two years later, whatever it is. Um, Because I know with myself, um, believe it or not, I used to complain a lot. Like, to be honest, I think back to how much I used to complain. And I really am grateful that my friends are still my friends today. Because like, honestly, I was just kind of a dick to deal with sometimes. And um, a lot of that, seriously, a lot lot of that was on me. Um, I, I, I think back to like, high school in particular, I complained all the time. And really, I had a pretty good life considering I had a I was raised by a single mom. And um, Mm -hmm. I remember I took a physics class and that class really taught me the value of like taking things into my own hands, taking situations to my own hands and doing the putting in the work outside of outside of class. And it was an incredibly liberating feeling to know that if I make a mistake, if I fuck up, it's my it's my fault. But at least I can live with that. And it also really got me, that was when I started working out. That was when I started really re- having more balance in my life with uh, <laughs> just making sure that I'm just not blaming people, focusing my, uh, focusing on more positive outlets, basically. Absolutely. And that's one of, that's, it's super liberating to see 
for me to see myself and the things, the errors that I made, because when I understand that, then I can go and make changes. Because if I'm blaming somebody else, it's never my fault. And I can always point fingers to somebody else as a reason why I'm not getting what I want. But when I can focus on what are the actions that I can take to make myself better and to, to put myself in a better position to succeed, now I'm working in a realm where I actually have the ability to affect the outcome, right? So that, that's why mindset is such an important part of, of being successful and understanding, like, what are the things you can and can't control? And there are things like, for example, if health and wellness is something that's important to you, you have to understand, like, how, how are you? The principle is you have to get in the eat health. Um, and sometimes getting that workout in is during times where the weather isn't great. So, for example, if you're, if you're training for a triathlon and you, you're outside running and then it starts to rain, what are the consequences of you saying, you know what, it's raining, I'm not going to go out and train versus I decided that I'm going to train. How am I going to figure out how to run? So are you just going to go out and run in the rain or are you going to switch up and, you know, run on a treadmill or, you know, what are the options out there? But those are things you can't control the weather, but you can control how you respond to the weather. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My mom has always told me that, but it took a very long time to get that <laughs> into my head. <laughs> yeah and and for me too like that's one of those things that's part of growing up and maturing is like that's why i'm confident or that's why i i can be patient with other people and think that hey maybe they're just not ready for yet because thinking about how i was in the past i know there were things that my parents had to tell me hundreds of times before i realized it but when there was that moment where i as oh, that's what my mom has been talking about all this time. Now I get it. So, yeah, that, but that's life. That's the beauty of being a human being and growing up is understanding that we're all kind of growing, continually growing, and sometimes we're, you know, it, it just takes time for the lessons to really sink in. Uh, yeah. for, and, and everybody has their own pace. Some people learn early, some people learn late. My job isn't to judge. My job to focus on what are the things that I can control. Awesome. Oh, man, I really appreciate that, Steve. Like, just, just all the advice that you give out. And with that being said, um, we are actually nearing the end of the podcast. So we mentioned, we talked about a lot of stuff today. Um, do you want to kind of give a quick summary of, of some of the things you met, that you mentioned? Like, we mentioned a couple acronyms, advice for portfolios, targeting your portfolios, AAA versus indie, stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, in summary, like the whole, the talk acronym, T-A-L-K, how do people, do they trust you? Are you available? Uh, do they like you? And do they even know you exist, right? If you're not getting the job that you want, something's out of whack with regards to those four criteria. Um, so just make sure that you're taking an honest look. And if you, if you want to chat with me, um, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Steve Miam, M is a Mary, E is an Echo, I is an e, M is a Mary. And yeah, just hit me up and I'd talk more in detail and find out what your individual situation is and how can I help you some way, somehow in your journey. Yeah, awesome. And um, I'm, I'm earlier in the journey, but 
Um, if you guys want to reach out to me, uh, you can as well. You can reach me on LinkedIn as well at uh, Byron Beasley Jr., I believe. So B-Y-R-O-N, Beasley, B-E-A-S-L-E-Y. And, of course, J-R. Um, I think I'm just, like, looking up with, like, uh, some music equipment in the background. So I'm usually pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. Uh, but, yeah, thanks thanks for uh, watching, guys. Uh, let's, let's empower up together. <laughs> right on. 